Mountains and Men. I am Reese Gabois. I'm Peter Myers. And today we have Father Luke Koski. I got that? Got it. Awesome. Wonderful. This is going to be an excellent episode where we're going to ask Father Luke any question we want to try and stump him and make him <laughs> unable to answer these questions. He's very uncomfortable because he'll feel like he can't answer it. No, no, no. no. He'll Father, be fine. Father Luke's going to do great. There will be yeah. many. Yeah. It's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, man, so... Uh, we should probably give a little disclaimer as to why the second part of the education episode with Father Brian, or not Father Brian, uh, Whoa, Brian Stahl. We've elevated him to the... To the <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking... We've of, ordained him. There was this priest called Father Brian Larkin, I believe, oh, in yeah, from, Colorado. Mm-hmm, yeah, yep. he was awesome. That's what I was doing right there. Yeah, uh, so but uh, Brian, yeah, we were going to do an episode on Catholic education. We just decided not to. That's yeah, what we're going to say. Exactly. All right. Okay. So we apologize for we'll, that. We'll maybe come back to that sometime in the future, but not yeah. anytime right now. So Definitely. We're busy little bees buzz buzz yeah. all right so father luke koski how long ago has it been like when you were ordained has it been a year i was ordained june 24th 2023 so i think it's been almost eight months now so you're a baby wow. priest baby priest oh my gosh yes. that's awesome <laughs> yeah. so you got like it's true that a priest during his first year after ordination has like special blessing powers right is that correct there's a there's a, a let's say a tradition or a custom of priests giving their uh their priestly blessing for the first year. There's a the tradition is that people can receive a, a plenary indulgence from that. Although I, I've looked into it and I, I have not been able to find that anywhere. Although someone said <laughs> no, one of the popes, it's there. okay, and yeah, maybe like gave uh, the you know, permission for it or um, made the indulgence for it, but it it's not something very easy to find at the very least. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, obviously, that means that one would need to both receive a blessing and do the other things that are required confession. for a plenary indulgence, yeah. which is going Eucharist. to confession within seven days, receiving the Eucharist, play, praying for the Pope's intentions. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, okay. Cool. Um, all right. So, thank you for that disclaimer. That's <laughs> 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 just a blessing. That's not it. Uh, but cool. So you are. So tell us about yourself. Like, where did you grow up? Sure. Where are you from? I'll, and I'll start with this. So I'm a priest for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Uh, serving under Archbishop William Lurie, and I am currently assigned to, it's a pastorate of two churches, Christ the King Catholic Church, and then also St. Bernadette's awesome. uh, Parish, also part-time at Archbishop Spalding High School as chaplain. Nice. So that's where I'm currently assigned. And uh, but then what was your question? Uh, just like tell us about where you're from and like oh, your yeah. life. But like before we get into that, Archbishop Spalding is so lucky to have you. <laughs> like, <laughs> my goodness, the school I'm at, we currently don't have a priest, uh, a chaplain, um, it looks like it's going to happen this year, which would be excellent, but they're so lucky to have you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It would be so cool to have a priest just like, is it, are you there like every day of the week, or is it like half the days? Or Not every day. I try to like, I try for twice a week, usually on Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, Monday, I'm at Christ the King. Wednesday, uh, Tuesday, I'm at St. Bernadette's. Wednesday, I'm at Christ the King. Thursday's my my day off. I'm not available on Thursdays. Nice. And then Friday, I'm usually at um, Archbishop Spalding. But then what happens is like retreats are only Thursdays and Fridays, so I'll spend part of my day off oh, helping man. at the retreat, and then also Friday at Spalding, um, or saying mass. So, but then if I have time on Tuesdays, I'll visit uh, Archbishop Spalding, and then or if I'm free on Monday or Wednesday. So it really depends on the week or what the schedule is looking like. If I have a lot of meetings with parishioners, or if I have to, if I have a lot of sick calls or a lot of meetings, then I won't have time. But otherwise, yeah, things. <laughs> I whenever I teach the sacrament of holy orders to my students, 
one of the objections they always have is, why can't priests get married? Mm. <laughs> and I explained to them the schedule of some of the priests I know, and I'm like, priests would be terrible fathers. Yes. <laughs> just 100% yeah. neglectful of their children. And it's just not possible. <laughs> it's like just hearing you talk about you're being pulled in three different directions, three different basic jobs that, ask, that are full-time jobs in and of themselves. It could be. Like, yeah, yeah so they could be. They could be. So you're, I'm sure, how has it been like the first eight months? Like, has this been like more than you expected or you like, what's your response to? Actually, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, in some ways, I mean, it's not, it's something that I didn't expect priesthood would be as far as like, you know, administering the sacraments or uh, ministering to people or um, just being the, the fatherly presence kind of wherever I'm ministering. But I think like the amount of work that there is as a priest, it, it has been surprising um, as far as the uh, <laughs> this, the calendar, the schedule can fill up. Um, I'm, uh, usually it's when, <laughs> when when someone wants to uh, you know have dinner or just like meet, sometimes I'm looking like m- weeks in advance. and uh, so I'm like, are you free you know like next month and this <laughs> evening they're like, well, like what? And you're like yeah, like that's the next time I'm free for like <laughs> oh dinner, you know um, So uh, yeah, no, it, it's been very busy. Um, <clears throat> in a lot of different parishes or schools or ask, ask for help, uh, different retreat centers ask for help. So I do what I can while trying to maintain my sanity. Um, but things like this, I, I love, you know, it's just fun. Yeah. And also just hanging out with the guys, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. uh, it's a good thing. So, so basically we should be really lucky that Father well, Luke is no. here. <laughs> <laughs> this is a short notice too, yeah, wasn't it? I was going to say, we actually managed to schedule it's pretty short notice, yeah. thankfully. So. I happened to be free and it worked out. I'm also really happy that you asked us to do it early in the morning because I have a wife and three kids at home and I... I've had a really busy week, so I like the fact of getting to do this early in the morning before things really get going. Before the kids wake up. Yeah. How old are your kids? So my oldest son is about to turn five. Um, I have a daughter who's two and a half, and then another son who's four months old. Oh, congratulations. Thanks. He, has, he hasn't pooped in five days, so that's Next. our current... Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's Make fun. sure that happens. Yeah, yeah. So we're giving him some apparently pear juice, like 100% pure Gerber pear juice, like just works as a laxative, natural laxative. So yeah, I'll let you guys know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. I know you listeners yeah. will be really eager to hear how that happens. <laughs> Next time we'll have to update the listeners. How that plays out. Yeah. So uh, Peter, feel free to jump in whenever. Uh, yeah, I mean, do we want to circle back to yeah. having Luke kind of introduce himself a little bit more and then we yeah. can jump into more questions? Great idea. I have plenty of other questions I would love to ask. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so yeah. Where did you uh? Where did you so come where are you from? from? Where did you grow up? How did you become a priest? Kind of in a summarized version, not a fifty-minute version, but you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe like a ten-minute version. Yeah, like ready to go. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm from Maryland. Grew up in Maryland, uh, Baltimore County area. I'm from a Catholic family. Although growing up, it was kind of a lax Catholic family. We prayed before meals, prayed before going to bed. Um, we went to like vacation Bible school in the summer. Went to church. I'd say like most Sundays. Um, Sometimes we would do like our little like um, call it like home masses and like well you know it's kind of it's kind of miserable outside maybe we'll just like read the scriptures at home and we'll just kind of like we'll just you know pray here and, and like and now we wouldn't you know that, that wouldn't happen now but at the time yeah. that's kind of that was that was the environment kind of grew up in and uh, we you know didn't pray the rosary didn't really read scripture a lot growing up so um, no it wasn't until I, and I heard the phrase once I think it was at a at a C conference but one of the speakers they said uh, you know. Like, I was kind of accidentally good growing up. I love I love that. Mm. Said that. The more freedom I acquired, the worse I got. And that was definitely my experience. <laughs> like <laughs> going to middle school, I got like, you know, like worse and worse and worse. You know, like m- more sins, like farther away from God. High school, like same thing, like worse and worse and worse. 
And it wasn't that, like, I still thought of myself as being a good person, you know, more or less. You know, like, I, I thought of myself as being a good person, like, selfless, loving. But looking back, you know, like, just riddled with a lot of sin. And it was just, it was miserable. Ultimately, I got to the points where, you know, that, you know, first year, second year of high school, I remember just feeling extremely lost, very, very confused, uh, like, looking in the mirror and just being like, you know, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know mm. what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm pursuing. And, um, and just feeling, feeling very miserable and depressed and sad. It wasn't until the confirmation retreat that I, I say like I, I encountered Christ. I don't mm. know how else to describe it. Um, it was with, it was with, uh, it was uh, with my youth group at the time. And, and, uh, we, have you, if you've ever seen the, uh, Lifehouse everything skit, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There's so there's like the, uh, the young woman on the stage with Jesus, and and on the skit, different people enter onto the stage, and they they start to lead the young woman away from Jesus, and after and eventually Jesus jumps in and he you know frees her from the sin essentially, and they're and they're reconciled and back in right relationship. Well, after watching that video, I realized two things: one, that Jesus actually cared about me. I think a lot of time growing up, I thought, well, here I am, like, going through this or doing these things, and Jesus is just up in heaven, somewhere up there, and, like, and, like he's just doing his thing in heaven. But here, and here I am, like, suffering, uh, feeling, like, alone. And but in the, in the skit, what I, the moment of, like, kind of revelation for me that opened up my eyes was that throughout the entire skit, Jesus was not only indifferent to the, what the young woman was, was suffering in that skit, he was distraught, like like he like he was actively like concerned about her. He was like he was praying for her, and that was I was like, whoa, like Jesus might actually care about me right now and what mm-hmm. I'm going through right now. I never really thought about that before. Um, the other thing too is I realized, wow, a lot of those things and a lot of those people, a lot of those sins that were leading that young woman away from Jesus. I'm doing a lot of those things in, in, in other people's <laughs> lives. I'm leading, I'm leading a lot of other people away from Jesus. That's not good. And uh, so, I, so it was a moment of, and I, the peer ministers, after that, seeing that video, they said, they got up and they just said, you know, our lives aren't perfect. We're not perfect people, but our lives are better with Jesus, and, you make, and he, he helps with sinning less, and he can do that for you too. And I just thought, wow, that sounds great. <laughs> I want that. <laughs> you know, like, why not? You know? <clears throat> so after that, <clears throat> excuse me, I started going to youth group more, started going to church more. And my parents were, they were just... Uh, very surprised, didn't know what to make of it. They're like, "Wait, you want to go to church more than once a week?" And I was like, <laughs> "Yes, like I want, I want to go." And even at, you know, we laugh about it now, um, but at the time, if I if I did something wrong or if I got in trouble, the way they would punish me is I, I wouldn't be allowed to go to youth group. That's what I wanted the most in my life. They, they could do, they could take away anything else, video games wow. thing. They said you can't go to youth group this week because that's what I, I that was where I wanted to spend like that hour, two hours each week the most. Like it's, I, I value it that much. Anyways, so wow. uh, at the time, there was, the high school I was at was run by a group of religious brothers. So I started just being like open to like the way of life that they were living, just praying community, community meals. Um, they would take like trips and different uh, have different retreats. And I started, I was so I got in contact with them, and then I also became a peer minister both at the church and at at the school, the high school I was at. And when I went to college, I went to uh, Towson University, which is where I met Peter. Woo-hoo. Yep, TU, <laughs> TU Tigers. Uh, and the first semester, I was like, well, I have a decision to make. I either keep doing this church thing 
and you know that's you know not kind of cool in college or uh mm -hmm. or i can like go do the normal college stuff like you know like going to parties and like hanging out with people and like not you know so i for the first like semester i foolishly made the wrong decision of going to like trying to go to like parties and stuff now ironically funny enough every place i went to it got like shut down immediately. It was not fun. It was a disaster. It was stressful. It was just, it was really <laughs> awful every time. Yeah. And eventually what ended up happening was my, my girlfriend at the time, uh, we broke up and it led me to this place of like, all right, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try church again. Maybe I'll go to church. So I went to the Newman center, the Catholic nice. campus ministry on campus, got connected and, and I, I kept going and it was yeah so much better. The entire rest mm. of my college <laughs> experience should have done it right from the start. Um, but here we are. Um, so, uh, was still thought it was called to marriage at the time and was, uh, started dating uh, someone else, uh, was involved with the campus ministry at, at Towson. I was still talking to the, the group of, uh, Christian brothers, the religious order. <clears throat> and they would, they took me on, oh, I mean, like they, they took me to my first focus C conference in Florida. Mm. Uh, they, they took me on a trip to, uh, hike a part of the. The Camino, uh, oh, the Santiago in Spain, yeah. wonderful. And I realized over time that I was like, I always thought in order to be happy that I had to, not that it's bad. It, there, marriage is a way in which God calls us to holiness and happiness mm -hmm. and fulfillment. But I thought that, that was the only way. Mm -hmm. I never really considered priesthood as a way of, of being happy or fulfilled, actually. And a lot of the priests, unfortunately, Sometimes, sometimes we only, when we see priests, it's for an hour each weekend, and maybe it's like their third or fourth mass, and they're tired, or they don't know what you know what they had <laughs> mm -hmm. earlier that week. Maybe they had like four funerals, and you see the priest, you know, as a young, he's a young man, and you're like, man, this guy is like, you know, a little weird, a little weird. He's tired. He looks exhausted. And what's he preaching about? And like, and you're like, yeah, I don't know if I feel called to that. Uh, and yet, this the week or that the two weeks, nine days, however long it was. Uh, that I was hiking with the brothers on the Camino, I realized, whoa, these guys are, like, very happy, very mm -hmm. fulfilled. Um, a little weird, but, like, for the most part, pretty cool. <laughs> and, like... Who isn't? I could be fulfilled doing this. I could see myself being fulfilled doing, like, not being married, not having kids. Uh, eventually, so, like, those experiences helped a lot. I started reading more books, started praying more, started going to daily mass more. But what ended up happening was one of, one of uh, the Towson students, he, a friend... He invited me one morning. He said, "There's there's a morning group of young men, men, and we meet. We have mass. We have breakfast with a with the vocations director. I think at the time, mm -hmm. and we talk about priesthood. We talk about theology. Are you interested?" And I was even dating at the time. I said, "Yeah, I'm like I'm interested. That'd be cool. I'm open to it." And I started going. And wow, that it just my heart was set on fire with the priesthood, with love for it. And <clears throat> I just in talking about the sacraments, talking about yeah, like theology, philosophy. I just thought I. I need to think about this more. I need to look at. I need to look into this more. So I, I talked to my now ex girlfriend. I said, "Yeah, even if I wanted to propose to you, uh, I wouldn't be able to give a hundred percent of myself to you because I I feel so called to this to to give my life uh, fully in service of Christ in the church." And she said, "You have to figure that out." And I was like, "Yeah, I guess I do." <laughs> so, so I did, and yeah, I spent around around nine ten months uh, reading books like to to save a thousand souls. Uh, the priest is not his own by full machine. Um, and talking with priests, talking um, with, with the spiritual director, going on retreats, praying more. And that really, really cultivated 
an openness to the possibility of priesthood. Now, ultimately, I even at the end of that time, I didn't feel called to apply to seminary. And I just still felt like I was called to marriage. So I started dating again. Um, and I told her about my previous discernment. And she said, well, all right, well, if you ever feel called to the priesthood, just like let me know immediately. I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, like, you got <laughs> Break it. Break up with me. <laughs> yeah, right yeah, away. yeah, essentially, yeah. Like, don't yeah. waste my time. I was like, okay, yeah. you got it, yeah. That's good. Um, so I... What happened was I eventually went on a, I was asked to co-lead a focused mission trip um, down to Nicaragua. Mm -hmm. And I was praying in adoration in, down Nicaragua. And I, I heard in prayer, Jesus tell me, this is like, this is like, I, I'll call it like an interior locution, more or less, like really. It wasn't, this doesn't happen all the time. This is like really the only time it happened quite like this. Um, I heard Jesus say in prayer, Luke, I, I love you and I'm proud of you. And if you decide to get married and have a wife and kids, I will love you and I'll be proud of you. And you'll lead your family to heaven and lots of souls to heaven. But I'm calling you to the priesthood. And it's just like, really? <laughs> like, <laughs> all right. Like, yeah. Great. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Man. So I got, so I, I, on that trip, I, Peter was yeah, also on that trip. I remember actually. that night very distinctly. <laughs> so I walked outside and we had, <laughs> we had a birthday party for one of the, one of the guys on the trip. And so like these, these Nicaraguans came in with like guitars and they were singing music and everybody was dancing. And I noticed at one point during this evening that Luke had disappeared. And I was like, what, where's Luke? Like Luke usually like is very much, you know, hangs out with, with people and it's life of the party and that kind like in a reasonable way. Not an excessive way, just in like, in a, you know, like hanging out with people. Yeah. I, I um, took it as excessive. So no, no. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why I clarified that. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, no, but, and I walked outside and Luke's out there standing in the darkness in Nicaragua, <laughs> just like staring up at the moon, like in this, in this really beautiful kind of way. So I know that sounds funny, but no. like it's really beautiful. <laughs> right. And cool. I was like, is everything okay? <laughs> like, and it's like, it's like, no. I think you I said think I, like I think I have to apply to seminary. Yeah, you that, yeah. and I was like, oh. Like, and it was so funny because now like prior to this, if if I because you've I, you've talked about you were being in seminary before. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. What, was, what, was, yeah. what was funny is that prior to this. Peter had asked me to go with him to visit the seminary. And I was like, Peter, I, no, I'm not going with you. Like, I, no, I'm not. You, that's for you. You feel called a priesthood. You do your thing. But like, who's I'm, the priest now? So I get, well, we get back from that trip. And uh, I remember the TSA agent too. He was like, are you, when we were like checking back into America, he was like, are you a priest? And I was like, no, why'd you ask me that? Like, you know, like <laughs> why would you say that? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I felt so, like, like, it, like God. Did you just misidentify me? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, it was like the Lord, like, I guess like maybe like giving this to me, giving me this like signal grace of like confirmation. And I felt like, so like, like, no, like I don't want to be called. I just want to like get married. No. But, well, uh, do you want to share like what no, the sure. rector said when we went to visit the seminary that time? Oh, yeah, sure. Cause I think yeah. that was, so I we went so. to the, we went to visit the seminary, Luke and I, yeah, and Luke, yeah, yeah. like Luke ended I did, up, I, I kind of coerced Luke into going basically. Nice. Um, just Thank for like for a couple that. day, like weekend trip, <laughs> which I'm thankful And the for. funny thing yeah. about it was I came out of that trip and was like, eh, like this is kind of cool, but like, I don't really feel like, that called to this right now. Like that's yeah. why I ended up going to focus for a couple of years first, but you came out of that trip <laughs> feel and like we're more, more like, I think you were more open to it from that. But, yes. but so what, there was a conversation <laughs> we had with the rector at the seminary. Yeah. And to, to paraphrase, I don't remember exactly what he said, but when we met with him, he said, yeah, a lot of men, they, they discern out and they think, Oh, uh, well, 
I can be happy being a youth minister working at a church somewhere. They never are. <laughs> it's just like, and I was like, yeah, it's like, I'm working as a youth minister part-time right now at a church. And like, I thought I was going to be happy doing that. And yeah, like, here I am. Like, all right. Oh, no. yeah, so, yeah. Might yeah, as um, well just not have to worry about money at all. If you're going to raise. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. No, it's really funny. So. Yeah. I'm reading the Iliad right now, which you everyone needs mm. to know, um, because Great. yeah, you know I'm better. Uh, but <laughs> 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 no, uh, it's like my third try- time trying to read it, and I'm actually like Good in job. book eight, so I think I'm going to finish it this time. And, like we all kind of know nice. the story of the Iliad. I think what we don't I, know I is don't how actually oh. I don't remember. No, I've, I've well heard enough. it, I think, but yeah. Well, like it doesn't need, like you think it's all about the Trojan War, but it's literally just the last year of the Trojan War, and the book ends before the war ends. Oh yeah, which is like it's like it just talk. It's really about Achilles, and you guys know Achilles. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So like did. Achilles was destined by the gods to either like he had two options. He could not go to war in Troy and have a family and be loved by everybody, but he would be forgotten. You know what I mean? And so obviously this analogy isn't perfect, but or he could go to Troy and be remembered as one of the greatest warriors of all time and be remembered throughout for thousands and thousands of years. And I couldn't help but think of Achilles when you were telling your story. Like, <laughs> am I comparing you to Achilles? The yeah. good parts of Achilles. Yes, I am. <laughs> sure. <It's> fine. <laughs> the greatest warrior of all time. Like, yeah, like it's, you could be married, you could have a happy life, but this is what I'm really calling you to do, and that's sacrifice, you know? And yeah. that's that's very beautiful. So so thank you for answering that call. Thank well, you. For, thanks be to God. Yeah. I, I would not be here if it was not for Jesus. <laughs> so that's Amen. like 100%. Yeah. 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 Um, as, so, a pri- as a priest or and as, and as a Catholic, um, but to, oh, so finally, so I did get back and I talked to the vocations director and I said, "Hey, like I think God's called me to apply." And he said, "All right, like we'll let you try to apply." And I thought, "Man, I was kind of hoping you'd tell me no." But all right, cool. <laughs> so, so I, but I, uh, I talked to my now ex girlfriend um, and the, my spiritual director, the vocations director, and they all said, "Yeah, if you feel like the Lord's calling to apply, then we you, you can do it." And it was like. All right, I got in. Uh, thanks be to God, by the grace of God. And now, you know, seven years later, eight years later, um, almost, uh, I'm a priest. That's yeah, awesome. so that's a Praise short God. story. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Thanks. Were there any points during the seven, eight years in seminary where you're like, maybe not? I have to admit, I, not, not really, not, not really. Okay. But the first semester, I wavered a little bit. I thought maybe I discerned. Poorly. Maybe maybe I really am not supposed to be here. Like I'm like mm. you know am I really you know um, you know still you know yeah, you know I still had you know some some feelings of being called to marriage and and I uh, wasn't yeah but then very quickly it's like no 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 I had to like go back and just kind of think like through everything that happened and how the Lord called me and and I thought about what what, what the process would look like for me to actually leave the program and every time i thought through all that i was like no the lord's not calling me to do this i think this is the evil one i'm like no and, and yeah. so so no i throughout thanks be to god uh, throughout the whole process and no i i felt called to priesthood throughout that's yeah. beautiful yeah yeah and would you say that that first semester i mean would you agree with the general principle having like i was in seminary for four years too and it's oftentimes people will say and i think it's very important to do to give it like a year or two before making a decision to leave once you've made a decision to enter seminary because I think yes. a lot of guys experience that first initial and I think it is probably like the devil the transition all the different aspects of like 
getting used to seminary life, which is diff- very different than almost anything else. Yes. Um, and so, like, I think that can be important to, like, that can be helpful, I think, for guys who are discerning that, like, you go, you give it a year or two, that's when you can maybe make an assessment of, like, um, do I feel called to continue on with this or not? But, like, but not to be constantly, like, thinking about it, because I think that's a thing that guys sometimes fall into. Absolutely. I think make the decision and then give it time to see how, how it plays out. And then after that, and you're not doing it alone, too. I think that's mm-hmm. such a, one of the things that I think guys think that if I go to <coughs> seminary, I'm automatically becoming a priest. Not true. Not no. true. <laughs> like, it's not the case. But also, I think a lot, of ta- a lot of times guys think, if I go to seminary, then I have to discern on my own. And I think that, mm-hmm. no, so you have, a, you have a formation advisor, you have a spiritual director, you have your vocation director, mm-hmm. you have the bishop. You have a lot of people helping you to think through it all. So um, that, that was super helpful as well. I remember <clears throat> when I was in Denver, I think the Archdiocese of Denver has like a spirituality year in its formation yeah. where you're not even taking classes. You're literally just hanging out with your brothers, some first year seminarians, and you're going out helping out the community, but you're doing a lot of reading and reflecting. That's becoming a universal. It's uh, a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Practice the new. Uh, yeah, it's called rat, the propedeutic year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, when you were kind of talking about you're not discerning alone in seminary, was there like this fraternity in seminary that y- you had? That was really beautiful. I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, just the fact of being seminarians, every everyone there had given up something, uh, left something, either uh, job opportunities or or their family, their homes, at least for that time while being at the seminary, and uh, they were all pursuing God's will, and they thought that I was becoming a priest. So yeah, in that in that sense, there was a fraternity aspect of a paternal aspect of just trying to seek the Lord's will and to do it. Um, and to learn more and, and, and the different dimensions of you know, spiritual formation, intellectual formation, human formation, and uh, pastoral formation. So trying to grow in those areas. And, and different people have different strengths um, and different weaknesses. So you, every, you have to be, be humble and flexible with different people's um, stages of where they are in formation and just helping each other along the way, encourage each other, console each other. And it's similar to just life itself, right? I mean, it's how life really should be that way. Yeah. Do, do you miss seminary at all? Because I'm not trying to compare at all what I've gone through to what you two as former seminarians, both of you technically, <laughs> like at, at Franciscan, like I'm sure because your sister went to, Fran- was she in a household? She was not in a household. Oh, uh, okay. No. I, so I was in a household okay. with disciples of the word and the fraternity I experienced there was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And I feel like I've just been chasing that ever since I graduated. Mm. And I, I'm curious because I've heard some seminarians having that experience and they're thrown alone in the parish life and you in three different <laughs> communities, basically. Yes. Like, is that a struggle, you know? Not so much for me. I've also heard that. I have heard, I talked to priests who do experience that. For me, my temperament, my personality is I'm, I'm very introverted. Okay. So for me, actually, seminary was actually quite challenging for me in the way that uh, being in a house of 150 guys was very tiring <laughs> for me. And it was always something happening, always communal <laughs> meals, communal events. And I was, I was like, all right, I just want some alone time, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, uh, um. So now being actually out in the parish, it's kind of nice to, you, I mean, I do have, you know, I keep busy. But then there's also time to, to pray and read and mm-hmm. to have a time of my own. So I and I do make time also for like priest groups um, or dinners with other priests, which is helpful as well. So I've, I would say now I kind of have the best of both, I think, as far as like the fraternal aspect of what I had in seminary, but then also like more alone time where I'm not living with 150 guys. <laughs> so I, I like the position, the position I'm in now more. Um, 
But I think other guys who did enjoy the communal praying of the bravery more, communal meals more, um, just living in the community more, um, I think they miss that a lot. Mm-hmm. But for me, when I was discerning, even before seminary, I was thinking, oh, Franciscans yeah. or Diocesan priesthood. Yeah. But for me, I, 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 just from the different different experiences I had, I thought, no, I don't, I don't feel called to all that community life. So I felt called to Diocesan priesthood. Um, so for me, no, it's not. It has not been my experience in that in that way. If that makes sense. Yeah. No. Yeah. I was my yeah, next yeah. question was going to be why? What was the discernment process like between being a diocesan priest or joining an order? But that was it. That was it. Okay. Yeah. It was, I two reasons. One was that the communal aspect, and then two, I felt called. So where do I where do I feel most called to serve? And like the Franciscans serve the poor mostly, the okay. homeless, uh, Dominicans like you know maybe like teaching or universities. Uh, et cetera, Benedictines, like, you know, like retreats or, or monasteries teaching. Um, but for me, I thought, I, I really felt called to minister to, to families, to the okay. family. I okay. felt the family is, is so under attack right now in so many ways that I felt called to minister to the families. And I said, who's doing that? The parish priest. Yeah. 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 I think I remember when I was studying at Franciscan, they said that the type of, or that the, the person, the, the object of catechesis should always be the families because Youth ministry really shouldn't be a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> youth ministry should really be yeah. trying to work itself out of a job where the parents yep. are the youth ministers. Yes. Yep. They are the primary This is what educators. I've been saying for Equipping the families for the catechesis. Yeah. 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 And, and yes. parishes are making that adjustment. They're, like, it used to be like, let's invest in the youth group, uh, which is like, is, has, has borne a lot of fruit, but they've made the adjustment like, no, we need to invest primarily in the parents. Yes. Exactly. Within the families, which makes a whole lot more sense. Uh, but beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. So um, that's yeah. a story. Yeah. Um, yeah, if I if I could just go back for a second to the fraternity thing, like I think, I think I get what you're saying, Reese, because I think I've experienced that a little bit since leaving seminary, mm-hmm. um, like discerning out that like it's harder to have good community and fraternity in the in the outside world, in a sense, in the in the normal world that we live in. Um, but I also think it's fascinating because I think Luke would probably agree with this from his experience at his seminary too, because we were at different seminaries. But, um, but I think. It's it's interesting because the seminary I think affords a really good opportunity for community and fraternity, but it also isn't automatically there either. In yeah. so far that there's a lot, of, there's so many guys there that you can just kind of be part of the larger group, but not really have like a close fraternity aspect mm-hmm. with either anyone or with more than one or two guys. That's no, true. It's um, true. I think that's just an interesting point of like you can kind of pick and choose almost even in seminary. Now, it can be overwhelming on the level of just so many guys, and there are always things happening, all that. But as far as the, like, like like Reese's comparison to a household at Franciscan, I think there is an interesting, like, little difference there because there almost could be, like, little mini households in the seminary, but oh, yeah. not the seminary itself because inherently it's just so big that there's just not that same. Yes, and, I, and I'm very inspired and very encouraged by some of the initiatives that are happening around uh, the archdiocese of some of the men's groups, or mm, some of mm-hmm, the uh, young mm-hmm. adult groups that are, that are forming. I yeah. think I think it's super helpful and like, yeah. good to see like more of that happening because I think people are seeking that. And I think that this providing that opportunity for that to happen is so good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the Fishers of Men that Rob started with mm-hmm. like the older men, but I know Towson in Baltimore has a pretty strong young adult presence as well. Yeah. And so it's beautiful to be able to see that fruit. And also, like to, to Peter's point, 
like with 150 guys, like, yeah, you can find smaller groups within the 150. I remember like at Franciscan of households, like they typically capped around 40. Okay. But like most households didn't want to get to that number. Anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. It's just it's way too, too large. Many. Yeah, it's just you want it to be like honestly like 20, fifteen to twenty yeah. is like yeah that's a solid number yep. right there. Yep. Once it gets too big, it starts to have different clicks within the group, and that's not really. Uh, and even I mean even fifteen to twenty, I think you. I'm sure you. Well, there's you definitely groups. This, but within I bet there. that's what I was gonna say was I bet you can speak into that that like I'm sure you knew all the fifteen to twenty guys, but you probably knew some of those guys better than other guys. Yeah, which makes and there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm just saying that makes sense because really like the the number of focus always used to use for like small groups is you want it to be between about six and 12 yeah. to be able to like actually know, which actually part of that, I think they got from Jesus, our Lord himself, like <laughs> with the apostles that it's he had. It's almost like 12, he had a reason. But, you know? um, <laughs> but it is a fascinating, like when you like really dig into it, like the larger a group gets, the less able it is to have, to like know everyone in the group on like a real level. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. I mean, honestly, I think like a classroom six to 12 would mm-hmm. be ideal. Six might be a little too. small, but like, like eight no, but like eight to, to 12. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. That would just be a lot more intimate as long as it's with the right group of kids, of course. But So uh, could we could we get so like what what would you say maybe like one or two like biggest like joys and biggest challenges so far in your first like eight months as a priest? Yeah. Two of my biggest joys. <clears throat> one really um, one of my biggest joys was uh, witnessing the one of the first marriages that that I witnessed, and that was that was just very joyful celebrating that that, that uh, hmm. nuptial mass. And then, uh, second, <clears throat> the really the experience of <clears throat> I'll put it this way: the moment, the moment, confession ends, and the 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 look of just like gratitude and life and hope. And faith and peace that I see in in that in the, the penitent's um, face is invaluable, mm-hmm. and I and I like I would I wouldn't trade it for anything. I mean, like being able to absolve people of their sins and welcome them back into um, the church, and and, and in a way um, bring some people's souls back to life. It, in a, man, in a manner of speaking, um, is is one of the greatest joys that mm. I experience probably weekly, um, and and uh, as far as challenges go, yeah, I mean, or maybe like something oh, yeah. unexpected too. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be a challenge, but e- oh, sure, or unexpected. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of times people might think that the, the biggest challenges are you know like celibacy or um, <laughs> like praying the bravery and like and like there are times where like where that is like some days um that is yeah more challenging but more often than not really the one of the biggest challenges that i found so far is how should i say it um maybe trying to trying to work with or minister to people with like big egos mm. <laughs> of, of like like people are like Hey, like father, like this is what I want to do, or this is what I think is best, and and this is what we should do, and I and having to be the person to be like, mm, no, actually that's not what we're gonna do, and like I can see why you might think that that's what we should do, but that's not what we're gonna do, and then like the frustration or the outrage at at not doing that thing, 
um, in whatever whatever yeah. situation, whatever circumstance. I'm not not one particular place, but I've, I've found that really that has been one of the more challenging things um, well, for priesthood. Could I? So you're a young man. Yeah, and I'm I've twenty nine, about to be thirty. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I'm uh, I'm twenty eight. Okay. I've been teaching since I was twenty three, and I just remember, and I'm actually starting to finally kind of get over the hill on this, being the young person, making suggestions or even mm. leading things because this is my first year where I'm now kind of a leader at the school. I'm in charge of like junior and senior retreats, and so Deacon Gedicky, you know, your former youth minister, he. He used to be in charge of it, but now that he's a deacon, he's more in charge of like the spiritual nourishment of the school and like day-to-day stuff. And I'm helping out with the retreats and in a sense leading them. And so I'll ask him, he's like, Reese, you're in charge, you know, <laughs> like, and I have to delegate chaperones. And it's strange because a lot of these chaperones are twice my age or uh, one and a half times my age. Mm-hmm. Like, has that been, because you're like more explicitly a leader, obviously, yes. with the yeah. with the caller. Yeah. So how, how is that? Like, is that, I mean, is it the same answer or how do you, how do you, how do you struggle with that, I guess? Yeah. In some ways, it's not. It has not been a struggle. In other ways, it has been. I, th- I think that maybe I'll, I think that the people who make sure your mic just a little bit closer. Just, you you're know, good. You're you good. Know, I think that maybe this is this might not be the this might not be correct, but this has kind of been my experience at least for mm-hmm. it. So for that's worth. But I, I think that the people who value and see the office of priesthood don't really see my age as being a, a problem. That's good. Um, that makes sense. The people who don't really understand what the sacrament of holy orders is or who the priest is or what the priest does or what the sacraments are um, or what seminary formation is, is like, I think they might perceive my age to be more of a factor. Um, and if that if that makes any sense. Yeah, because I, mm-hmm. I remember there was a homily given trying to remember who gave the homily or it might have been on a podcast i forget which but you know there's this dwindling number of priests um especially in the united states and that is obviously can be we can understand why someone might say that that's a cause for concern but i heard an argument being made that actually the priesthood is just going to grow stronger because before the priestly this argument too (laughs) yeah because before the priestly scandals it became it was like a noble thing to be a priest you know uh but there was also probably, given that it was a noble thing to become a priest, given that it was more common to be a priest, it was probably less valuable yes. and probably less prestigious in another sense. Yes. Like it, it was more prestigious, but then less prestigious in another sense because there was more of them. But now that there's fewer of them, they're rarer. Um, and now that we have, a, and those who do have an understanding that what you're doing is a very big sacrifice, also just given the cultural perspective of, of the priesthood, <coughs> there is going to be more respect, I think, in the coming years to be shown towards the priesthood. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that also comes back to the comparison you made to the Achilles situation, too, that I think the priesthood right now, I feel like, is viewed like I think for a while during Christendom, the priesthood was like you're saying it was this like noble thing that a ton of men did. But now it because there's so few, it's becoming much more like that, that noble thing in a different way of like the the heroic valor of going to war almost like jumping into the spiritual battle as a priest is like 
you are one of the few who it's like the it's like the uh special forces or whatever like the i'm forgetting what it is like the green berets and the uh navy seals navy seals that's what i was looking for yeah you're they're like you're one father. of the few like you're you're one of the few who's like <laughs> i'm no willing to take no the punk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but but the point is like i'm not trying to say that to like blow smoke or anything but sure. like you're you're one of the few who actually is like doing you as a priest not just you specifically but you as a priest in general any priest is one of the few who's actually like pursuing that and so it's like this more heroic thing sure and and it's it's always humbling it's very humbling so i always have to remind myself that it's because of jesus it's like mm-hmm. it, it I, and so much of my life all of my i mean like all my life has can can show that or attest to that that it's it's nothing that i like did it's jesus like brought me here and i always have to go back to that of like yeah like I can't, uh, I have no reason to boast. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's, it's because of Jesus, for sure, um, which is helpful for me as well. But I think also, I'll tell you this quick story, maybe. I yeah. thought before the priesthood, even as a deacon, like leading up that, that final year before priesthood, I kind of thought like, well, it'll take some time for people to like, you know, call me like father or to, you know, ask me to um, do some of the sacraments. And nope, it was immediate, <laughs> immediately, immediately <laughs> after ordination. It's just like, Hey father, like you know, can you do this or father? Can you like can we do this or can, you, can we schedule this? Like mm-hmm. okay, like awesome, cool. And it was also very humbling. Of you know, I yeah, doesn't matter if the person was, you know, also you know like like around my age, like a peer, or eighty years old or ninety years old, mm-hmm. like your father to them. And immediately after ordination, and in some ways, I was talking to my brother about this that the difference. It's one of the it's a one of the differences I think between. Uh, natural fatherhood or, or biological fatherhood and priesthood and spiritual fatherhood is that in, in biological fatherhood there's you have it at least normally I would say you know like nine months before you see your child and then the child grows up and you have time to maybe grow into in a way your fatherhood yeah you're still a father mm. even from the, from the moment of conception but then after that you have time to grow into the fatherhood for priesthood you're made father, and your father immediately to, to you have an eight, you have a sixteen year old, you have a fourteen year old, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, you have a kid who graduated college, yes, uh, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah immediately, yeah, and you have you have children who spiritual children who are on their deathbed, and you have spiritual yeah. children who oh, are baptizing, gosh. yeah, immediately. So wow. that that was a big uh, learning curve for me. You are thrown into it, yeah, wow. immediately, yeah. So that was that was a difference. Well, and you don't you don't have to comment on this if you don't want to, but mm-hmm. I do think that that's something I was I forget who I was talking with, but I was talking with some people recently about this concept of I think one of the aspects that's really important about that though too is is the acknowledgement of the fatherhood of a priest mm-hmm. in calling him father that because there's there's been like this thing that's happened over the last like I don't know fifty sixty years let's say in certain places where some of the some of the people and some of the priests and stuff through this like desire it you know it came from a good desire but it was i think a little misguided this desire of like humility to be like oh you know i'm i'm like you so you can just call me you know bill or jim or whatever i'm just using random names but like mm-hmm. versus like acknowledging the fact that that man is a priest and that we should be referring to him as father whatever his name is um versus you know that that casualty i think can like contribute to this and i don't know which one is you know, the chicken or the egg in some sense so i think sometimes it's the the lack of recognition of the fatherhood that leads to calling them not that but then also i think using the name helps to like promote that using the the title i mean father yeah uh, yeah yeah um was there something you wanted to say to that or 
No, I think that that's true. Okay. I think that it's good to. I think that it's not about you know, it's, <laughs> it's not about being called father out in public or you know. So, no, so yeah, it's like not about the the gospel. Oh, ra- ra- rabbi, rabbi. Yeah, you know, yeah. They <laughs> love the titles and the citations no, 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 in the yeah, marketplace. Exactly. You know, it's not about that. But but I think that there is something to um, acknowledging the reality that of what has happened at ordination. That that at ordination, Jesus through the church, through the bishop, has made it there, there's been an ontological change in in that man and that he has a, a new character on his soul at ordination and that he's father now yeah is that yeah well yeah i mean because you know i'm doing teaching theology and doing campus ministry i have that option to just like i can be done you know <laughs> like i'm gonna like i'm gonna go sell stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. i was gonna say paper but i didn't want to come up as like throwing shade at rob paper i'm gonna go sell some like welding and safety supplies because that's what my father-in-law does but nice. you can't do that i mean i guess you could but like but like you can't really yeah. you know and so that, that just lends itself more to the further sacrifice and then there's people who recognize that but the world typically doesn't unfortunately unfortunately yeah and i think i just i hadn't thought of sorry i'll conclude this thought in a second but i think i just thought of this based on the the conversation we were having a second ago about the the aspect of like that for a biological natural father that you kind of have that time to grow into it and then for a priest it happens but i think that's another comparison you can make in some ways that it would not be proper for kids and this is something that also i've seen sometimes but i i am always i kind of cringe at a little bit of like the most proper thing is for children to call their parents dad or mom or father or whatever you know like yeah you're not saying oh yeah exactly (laughs) that's the thing like you shouldn't be like Uh, that's a line that shouldn't be crossed and it's a natural line that happens as they're growing up like mommy and daddy like in their little kids like and in the same kind of way like that's i think a point to make about i think my point in that is that the title thing it's not just a title in some sort of you know fanciful oh wow look at father so-and-so it's more just a basic title of like acknowledging who you are at that point to yes. your point about ordination when you become a priest you become a father in the same kind of way that when parents have their children they become parents and so now it's not just a title that you you know reese your dad to your kids i assume or whatever like form of that they call you <laughs> yeah we're not <laughs> they might call you daddy or whatever but data, data, data yeah okay yeah, yeah. but the point is they have like a, a title that they call you and that happened once you became a parent. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and I can't run away from that. I mean, I can, but I really can't, you know? Right. Yes. <laughs> I, was, it's, I, I was reflecting on this. It's funny you bring it up, like, a, past, a couple days ago, about, like, how when I grew up, my mom would refer to, like, my dad as, like, dad, and my dad referred to my mom mm-hmm. as, like, mom, yep, like, in conversation. And, like, I was, like, I caught myself doing that to Emily, too, mm-hmm. uh, my wife. And it's just yeah it's kind of like even the spouse recognizes it too mm-hmm. which is really significant very much so so uh awesome so you said so we had two positives which i want to ask you about later like the sacraments and marriage but uh you gave one struggle or unexpected problem uh with the priesthood and that, not a problem with the priesthood but just like your vocation like like oh i didn't expect that problem uh, or issue is there another one that you can think of or if not that's perfectly fine hmm Another difficulty. That's um, a better word. Difficulty. That you're willing yeah. to share it too. Yeah. Because yeah, remember, you don't yeah. have to like obviously. Of course not. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, <clears throat> well, th- I mean, this connects back to what I, we were talking about a little earlier. Um, and this isn't, this is, this is uh, maybe like a joyful sacrifice kind of. 
Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's part of the cross, though, of diocesan priesthood. Uh, one of my one of the priests in, in the archdiocese, he, he told me this um, once, and I, and, I, and I really like it. He said, you know, the Franciscans, um, they make, like, what they, their, their, their charism, or they live a life of poverty. Um, mm -hmm. and, like, Benedictines, they have, like, stability. Like, what's, like, the, what's the thing about diocesan priesthood? And this is, this is not official, right? But I think, that I, I like the idea, at least. I've, I've held on to this. And he said, the diocesan priest, he has the, the poverty of availability. And I think that, going back to the, the calendaring mm. or, the, or the scheduling, I think that whenever, you know, there have, been, there have been a number of times when someone would say, oh, hey, like, are you free tonight or tomorrow or, you know, to do this thing? And I have to say, like, no, like, I've had this thing in my calendar for, like, a month that, like, I can't change this. I'm like, no. And I think there is a poverty of availability that the diocesan priest can experience if he's actually, if he's trying to fill his time with, like, ministry and, and service um, that maybe other I mean, maybe, you know, maybe every priest has that experience, whether you're a religious priest or diocesan priest. Um, but I have experienced that as like one of the difficulties, the, a poverty of availability as far as time goes, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, tell me if this relates. I, I try to relate my own personal experience. I'm not trying to put my own personal experiences on what you're describing, but uh, I had a student. I've actually had it happen more than once, but I've had a student, like, break down in front of me, mm. like, when we're alone, and then the student steps forward to, like, receive a hug. <laughs> and mm. and I feel like I can't do that, you know, uh, yeah. just like for the sake of being <laughs> appropriate. Probably, yeah, 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 you know what I mean? probably good. You probably shouldn't. But there's also immense disappointment in that. Mm -hmm. And like I have to withhold something that I feel like I should be able to give, which is comfort to a person. Sure. I, and I, I, mm. I wonder if there's a similarity with that where... To the availability. Like, yeah, thing. like yeah. I should be able to hear your confession right now, but mm. I got to go hear someone else's or something. Or yeah. I, I like I have mass in like two oh, minutes and, and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah like, the, the Archbishop... I think Ar Archbishop Laurie, he once in a, I don't know if it was a homily, but I think it was a talk, but he said there's, <laughs> he used the analogy, he said, there's a, a well, like what you draw water from, mm -hmm. he said, there's a well of need, and it never runs dry. <laughs> and no matter how many buckets yeah, you pull true. up from that well, you might try with all of your effort to empty that well, and you will never be able to. And always yeah. remember that, that you don't tire yourself out trying to empty that well because it never will run dry. And that was really helpful. Like, I can't do it all. I can't do everything. Yeah. There, there are just, because I'm finite, because I'm limited, because I'm a human being, I can't do everything. Yeah. And, I, and remembering that is, it's kind of a relief. It's kind of helpful. I can, yeah. I, I found it to be helpful once he said it, after he said it. Um, so I have to remind myself of that sometimes. That's yeah, something, yeah. I think that's where that quote from John the 20, the, at least it's famously attributed to John the 20, Pope John, Pope St. John the 23rd, um, of the the famous thing that he would say with as pope when he was going to bed of like it's your church lord i'm going to bed that like the acknowledgement that there's always going to be more things you could do to to serve people but at some point you have to acknowledge i need to go pray right now i need to go to bed i need to take care of myself like because i'm sure that's probably been a thing that has been challenging i would imagine in some ways your first eight months of trying to learn how best to like take care of yourself properly as a priest, but also be radically available, like you're saying. Yes, yes, I, I've had to learn it. <laughs> I'm still learning it. Of <clears throat> Yeah, there's, there was once that I scheduled myself for like five days in a row of like doing like intensive ministry, and by the time the week ended, I was like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> you know, like, and, like, can't do that again. Um, yeah. Or um, what was the other, uh, oh, as, as far as, uh, yeah, like, like prayer. I, I have... 
thankfully the formation helped and in, in like make, making the prayer priority and kind of having like the you know if you like they fill the container sorry you're good if you, if you fill the container with like the big rocks first and the smaller rocks and the sand i don't know if you've like done that yeah like, yeah like, yeah, like, yeah um so like like trying to fit in like you know things like like math i try th- thanks be to god yeah so far since the day of ordination i've been able to celebrate mass every day so far awesome yeah um, that's beautiful and then valuing or trying to prioritize the holy hour um, doing that every day and then breviary of course the divine office every day um so yeah so the, so the, the big things trying to prioritize and then after that all the other things trying to, to fit in um and sometimes that looks messy you know maybe that looks like praying you know <laughs> a lot of the, a lot of the hours of the breviary all at once you know the, in the last like, hour of the day i don't know it, it happens right i've heard of that yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, it can happen uh, try not to but it, you know things like that can happen so um but yes making that a priority and then and uh yeah hopefully that yeah. well, no, that's what you were saying well yeah. when you were talking about like the well that's unending yeah. it made me think of my son and daughter my oldest are like really into the incredibles right now mm-hmm. and so they just yeah. like it's like six six thirty you know like we're winding down they're like we want to watch superheroes and that's the incredibles mm-hmm. and at the beginning of the first incredibles movie mr incredibles like you know, sometimes I just want the world to be saved. You know, it keeps yeah. like getting over and over again. Yeah. To be honest with you, I think Mr. Incredible is a jerk. I can say that because he's not a real person. Yeah, <laughs> but he is a jerk. Like, if you see the first two movies, like, he only thinks about himself. He just wants the glory. Like, he's just, uh, there's nothing really redeemable about the guy. I mean, that's not true. But, like, there's, I just don't find him to be a very appealing character. Yeah. But there is kind of, like, that mindset of I have an objective. I complete it. And then I get like that dopamine or whatever, like that satisfaction. And, and I can totally see the weight being lifted off of your sol- shoulders when Archbishop Laurie says, hey, you're never going <laughs> to you're never yeah. going to run that well dry. And so stop thinking that way. And that will have the intended effect of and taking the weight off your shoulders. Very much so. Very much so. That's something that you honestly, I think anyone can think about regardless of their vocation. Like, yes. I think it's really something they should embrace because we kind of have this mindset of like, do, 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 do accomplish. Yeah. And that's what that's what go getters do. You know, yeah. <laughs> they go all out yes. and they have that mentality, but it's nice to like, yeah, I mean, a even, bit. even in the accounting world, as silly as it is, like I've definitely experienced that of coworkers and, and, and myself feeling pressure at times to like, just try to get everything done. And at some point it's like, all right, at some point you need to just go to bed and leave it for the next day. Like it'll get done eventually. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, you can definitely see that being more challenging when it comes to spiritual needs. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, for sure. I mean, that's part of the reality too of, well, similarly to um, even being a natural father, biological father, if your mm-hmm. child gets um, very, very sick or has something very, very serious happen, some there are some things where you can't not take care of the child. I mean, like, there's mm-hmm. some things that are, like, that just take, like, maximum priority. Yeah. And same for priests. If we get a call anointing saying, like, yeah, like, yeah. like, you have, like, someone's about to die in the hospital and they need the anointing. It's like, if I'm at dinner with someone, it's like, I have to go. Yeah. It's like, like there's some yeah. things you just have to like, like prioritize. Like if there's a funeral um, and someone passes and if I had something else scheduled, the funeral takes priority. Yeah. Usually I mean, all, all things. Yeah. Like yeah, really yeah. over everything else. So, and so yeah, some things you have to do. That makes sense. Like anointings or funerals. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a whole lot of sense. So going back to when you were talking about the positives, uh, mm-hmm. first of all, seeing you perform mass at the retreat that you helped out at was beautiful. Uh, you were, and it was awesome. I was super excited that my students got to see 
Not saying that the priests who they have seen haven't been reverent, but we have mass in the gymnasium, <laughs> like most, <laughs> most like most Catholic schools do, because yeah. that's the only place we can all fit. But when it's in the chapel, and it's a smaller mass, and they're able to clearly see you. Um, it was very beautiful. Uh, so I can definitely see the joy you experience when you perform the sacraments and you, you minister them. So uh, what's been your favorite sacraments to, <laughs> yeah. to really perform, to minister? That's probably the better term. Yeah, probably the sacrament of confession. Confession, actually. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've grown to my appreciation mm-hmm. and love for the Mass. Uh, but really, uh, I find that, I think, and I think part of it, too, is that's been, I think, one of the sacraments that's been the most impactful in my life that I have experienced. Um, the healing effects, the the what yeah, the changing effects of of the sacrament of reconciliation mm-hmm. in my life. So I think being able to see that in other people has been a blessing for me to see that transformation, kind of God's grace transforming people um, into you know, God willing into saints. Um, so for me, that that's been the greatest joy. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, I remember when I was studying sacraments at Franciscan, I, I got to take the class with Dr. William Newton, who's yeah. a beautiful, beautiful professor. A lot of people don't know about him, but phenomenal professor, great teacher. And I remember learning about the sacraments, and I was like engaged at the time, uh, not married yet. But I remember when I was really studying holy orders, realizing, man, the priest gets like some pretty cool powers. <laughs> like, <laughs> like this is like this is awesome. Yeah. Like they are like real life superheroes. Yeah. yeah. I remember one priest. He's, yeah, I mean, he was trying to downplay it a little bit. He's like, you know, priests, like, you know, what, what can we actually do? Like, you know, like, he, he was like, he's like, yeah, I mean, like, priests, you know, like, they, they just, like, oh, they can turn bread and wine into God, and they can forgive sins. But, like, besides that, like, they're just like everyone else. And I was, and I was, I was kind of just like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Like, even, even that, I was just like, wait a second. <laughs> Changing bread and wine into God, right? And it's kind of like we were going back to it before we were talking about it earlier, if you don't mind, not to go into all, mm-hmm. to all the uh, everything, but um, it goes back to like, well, who is God? It's like, I am like being itself, like not just like not just one thing in the universe, not just like um, one like a finite thing, like God, mm-hmm. like the Trinity, and like if the Eucharist is Jesus, which it is, is you know the second person of the Trinity, um, the the eternal Son took a human nature to Himself. If that's in like if that's the Eucharist, that's not like a small like, it's, it's not a small thing. It's like a big it's a big deal kind of mm-hmm. like you know what I mean. Yeah. And, like so even that and then he's like yeah like just like yeah like oh, no, just like turn bread and wine to God and then also like forgiving sins and I was like that's also not a, a small thing either. It's like that's kind of big as eternal. It can have it can have eternal uh, ramifications or effects for mm-hmm. sure. And that, that's kind of big. So yeah, I mean. Our our society, our culture, doesn't. Mm, I, I in my opinion, I don't think our culture really values either of those things. So a lot of times, day to day, week to week, mm, it keeps you humble. Of like, well, most people don't actually see hardly any of the value yeah. of what the mm-hmm. priest is, or who the priest is, or what the priest does. Um, and it's only really, in some ways, it's it's a gift. When, when you can talk with people who actually recognize and value what who the priest is, who Jesus has made, you know, um, who Jesus has made his priest to be, yeah. to do. Yeah. And um, it's a gift. So, yeah, if that makes sense. No, no, yeah, totally. Yeah. Hey, so there's kind of a few topics I wanted to move on to. Yeah. But, Peter, do you have any more questions? No, that's fine. We can. 
So I, I kind of wanted to maybe focus on the Eucharist here for a second because we're in the year of, or there's a national Eucharistic con- conference uh, going Congress. on. Congress, thank you, going on in Indianapolis. Are any of you guys going to that? Not that I know of. Not that you know of. I don't think so. We'll think see, so. but I don't think so. Yeah, my, my dad texted me. He's like, you going to this? I'm like, I wish, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's time and money. But yeah, uh, exactly. I was looking at their website, and they are giving families discounts. Cool. Like, it's not a drastic discount. Yeah, but it's, like, it's a pretty small discount. But yeah, they but are It's, it's still like nice to yeah. see them, pe- people being aware of that. Uh, yeah, to your point, like turning bread and wine to God. Like we have this very simplistic, almost materialistic understanding of God, which makes no sense when you really say it, but people think God is like this thing that's out there, yeah. like in the universe needs to physically be discovered, which is yeah. just a yeah. drastic misunderstanding that kind of resulted out of the new atheist. Yes. Um, and when that misunderstanding, whether or not people listen to these new a- atheists, it permeates the entire culture mm-hmm. and then leads to a lack of appreciation even within the own within that actual community like the church community because what were this what's the numbers on how many people don't actually believe jesus is present i thought it was like 60 percent yeah. yeah i was gonna say isn't it 30 percent believe he is yeah okay like yeah. Actually, yeah so i think it would be 70, 70%. would be the those yeah. are the numbers my dad was sharing yeah and uh <laughs> i i've kind of god's been working on my heart this year to grow an appreciation for the eucharist and that point also was really hit home. I'm not sure if we talked about this in the podcast we had with Brian, but there's a student who is not Catholic but has been asking Brian a lot of questions lately, uh, which is really beautiful. And actually, Brian, I'm not sure if any of you guys know about this person, but there's a friend of Brian's who's living a hermit life now. Hmm. She's a female, and she like has been, felt really called to the hermit lifestyle. And so uh, it's really beautiful, but the student's been like really curious and like, emailing questions to Brian and Brian's been passing it on to his friend who's a hermit and she's answering questions back. But um, the student is not Catholic. She's Lutheran, which they have a different understanding of the Eucharist, of course. But she said, well, you guys actually believe God becomes bread. And Brian's like, uh, yeah, we do. And I was there. And she's like, why don't you guys act like it? <laughs> mm, mm, mm. And I was like, yeah. Now we were, and we looked at her, we're like, yes, like yeah. preach. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Uh, like yes. it's just, <sighs> the, the phrase, sorry. No, no, you go, you the, go. You the go. phrase that comes to mind is the lex orandi, lex credendi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, as the law of um, pra- the prayer is the law of belief, or like the like the law of that? prayer is the law of belief. Yeah, yeah. Th- thank you, and and I think that yeah, if, if if we believe it, we should act like it. Yeah, we have to have the 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 customs and the traditions, the behaviors of this is God, and I think that if if we if we treat the Eucharist casually, we won't recognize the reality of, of what the Eucharist is. Yeah, because what's going through my mind right now is, I'm, like I said, we were talking about before this episode started, that like I would never assign an episode of my own podcast to my students. But this would actually <laughs> be a great like thing when I'm covering holy orders for my students to listen to. And I'm thinking also, like what else could like people draw from this, from listening to this? Just like a better understanding of God and a better understanding of the Eucharist. Because at Catholic schools, you know this, not everyone's Catholic, okay? Mm-hmm. And even the ones who are Catholic don't really understand what's taking place. Right. But uh, to maybe work our way up to a better understanding of the Eucharist, there's this understanding of God, like I said, that's very simplistic. So we try to compartmentalize things that we can't really grasp, and therefore we simplify what that thing actually is. And God... Uh, like St. Thomas Aquinas, I believe there's a story which he had almost finished his summa. He never finished it himself, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, okay. Yeah, his, correct. His, 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 yeah, his pupils did. And um, 
But he stopped writing his before he died, from my understanding, because he had this vision that everything he had written about God was just like, like straw. it was straw. Yeah. Like, it was nothing. Like, everything that, uh, the, the analogy I give to my students is I take a whiteboard, and I say, this whiteboard represents what you could know about God. And I make a dot on the whiteboard. I'm like, that's what Aquinas did to help us understand God better. But once you read Aquinas, you're like, wow, so like, this much. is amazing. Well, yeah, which, which that was the clarification <laughs> I always like to give when people bring that up, is to understand that, like, Aquinas' point in that was not that his things weren't important. No. But merely that in the context of God in heaven, Infinite, they're so yeah. they're so small, even though they are so good and so important, but they're so tiny in comparison to like the goodness and the the truth of what what and who God is. Yeah. 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 The, the story is not to diminish Aquinas, and I don't think Aquinas is trying to diminish and be- no, I his just mean understand. I've heard people right. use it that way, so that's why I'm clarifying. Yeah, yeah that, we definitely yeah. want to avoid that, but it's really to emphasize, yeah, the magnanimity of God and mm-hmm. how phenomenal He is. But yeah, the idea that that can become bread, like I think it's so beautiful that you or that that bread can be turned into God. Yeah, to clarify my language, I just find it absolutely, it's just outstanding <laughs> that that you can do that. Like I do too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, I mean I'm well, sure that blows you away. You know, for what it's worth though, too, this is maybe a interesting point. Is one of the biggest surprises once I became a priest, is I kind of thought, a little bit, I mean, I, know, I don't know why, but I kind of thought, well, once I'm a priest at Mass, like, I'll have, like, this experiential quality of, of, of confecting the Eucharist. Like, I'll, like, I'll, like, I don't know, like, I'll feel power, like, leaving my body when I, like, confect <laughs> the Eucharist, and, like, I'll, like, know that, like, this is, like, like Jesus in this, like, experiential way. And the reality is, is that actually... No, I need faith too. <laughs> like, like, like when I confect the Eucharist yeah. and I and I elevate the Eucharist and I'm like this is Jesus now, but like the feeling as far as like confecting the Eucharist or celebrating Mass, it feels very ordinary. Like I, I feel it feels like nothing different's happening, and yeah, what what is happening is is real, supernatural. Um, but the experience of it is like I I I, I realize that like wow I need I need faith and. Uh, I need a lot of faith. Like, Lord, please help me to always remember that this is really you. you know? Does that you know, make sense? Yeah, no, yeah. that oh, does. That actually sparks. So on okay. the bookshelf up there, actually, I have multiple copies of it. But um, but so there's a book by Romano Guardini from the early 1900s called Meditations Before Mass. Hmm. If hmm. you've never read it, it's actually, like, well worth reading. It's a really good thing to help, like, appreciate the Mass more. Um, obviously, it was based on the old rite, um, but it still has a lot of relevance to Mass in general. And he kind of does a lot of sections that are like X as a hindrance, like X thing as a hindrance to encountering the mass properly. And one of the things that I, one of the sections I just read the other day is sentimentality as a hindrance. Hmm. And he talks about it in this really beautiful way of that the, the mass is meant to be, it's not meant to be something that like touches us in our own like sensitivity it's meant to be what it's designed to be by the church, the way that it, the church lays out the rubrics, properly speaking, which is also why it's important for the mass to be celebrated according to the actual rubrics, not according to the way that X person wants to do it. Yes. Um, but like, but it, 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 what you were saying just now reminded me of that too, because one of the things he talks about is the danger of people. He's talking about lay people, but I think it can also apply to priests that like anyone who is encountering the mass there can be this this like if I'm not feeling it right now, it's not, you know, it's not doing it for me or whatever. I don't really, you know, I don't I didn't get anything out. You know, the phrase that you hear so often, I didn't get anything out of that mass. Like, well, 
mass isn't meant to be about what we get out of it. It's yeah. about part of it is like you said, like the, the constant renewal of the faith of saying, I believe and trust Lord that this is you present in the Eucharist, even though right now as Aquinas writes, my senses fail me. I can't, I can't perceive on a like really clear, sensible way that this is you. It just looks like bread and wine, but I believe that it's you. And I trust that even though in this moment, I'm not feeling it. Yes. hundred percent. I think that, I think that's so right. And for, for, for lay person and priest alike. Yeah. I think that's something that also needs to be applied even to just the spiritual life as a whole. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's, we don't get attached to the feeling of God, we get attached to God. Because mm -hmm. if you get attached to the feeling, that's something other than God. Like, not to criticize the entire charismatic movement, <laughs> because I think it's borne some fruit, you know, it really has. But that's been always my primary concern with the charismatic movement is, ooh, it's like feel really good right now. And and God gives good feelings for a reason, okay? All right, if they bring mm -hmm. you peace, then as Father Jacques Philippe says, that's probably from God. But we can't get attached to that entirely. Yeah, the gift versus the giver. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I, I heard it phrased once at a, uh, a focus conference going into adoration of we should be in love with the God of consolations, not the consolations of God. Uh, because yeah. so often I think people, they get the consolation in prayer at some point, and then they just get attached to that, and they want only that experience of feeling good. But it's like a lot of times when you go, I'm sure both of you can attest to this as well, that a lot of the time when you go to prayer, I know this in my own life, you don't feel like wonderful, joyful consolations. A lot of the time, it's just sitting and praying and sitting with that. And sometimes you do get consolations, and that's wonderful, and that's a great grace from God, but they're not going to come every time. Right. Well, I think this is what makes doing youth ministry, being a priest, so difficult, not to say that they're both are the same, but like in a, trying to convince people of the gospel. Because I get a lot of students, and I'm sure you do, and parishioners coming up to you being like, I don't feel God in prayer or like mm -hmm. I've not heard God speak to me. So we were just having a retreat and uh, one of my coworkers, uh, Katie, who is just a godsend. She's phenomenal. She graduated from Mount St. Mary's. Um, and she was, she and I kind of came up with the idea of like, let's just do adoration as our prayer experience. Mm. Like, let's, like let's not do this. Let's not try and do anything too cute. And, uh, and try and work up the moment. Like, let's just let Jesus be Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, but, I had a coworker of mine also make a comment because we were discussing curriculum and he was saying we're competing against entertainment. And there's mm -hmm. a big temptation for a lot of churches to become entertaining mm -hmm. and they're doing that and it's working for a little bit. It works. It works initially. Like it, it it's, I'm thinking of like uh, mega churches. Oh uh, yeah. Like okay. it, it works initially. Like sort let's of, have like yeah. a, let's have a rock band. I mean, they grow in numbers, but it's they're shallow. That's shallow. the thing. It well, no, well, it's not sustainable. Exactly. That's why mega churches keep going through this up and down thing. And it's not completely to just say like everything they're doing is terrible. That's not what I'm trying to do, but it's a challenge to compete against entertainment with these kids until like with TikTok. Oh my gosh. But that's, uh, but that's uh, why I think yeah. that we need to, I was just having this conversation with someone recently. I think we need to embrace who we are as Catholics oh, and what sure. it means to be Catholic and just accept that that's going to be different and see if sometimes that difference is precisely what people want because they're so bombarded by all these entertainment things. They don't need the church to then give them the same crap that they can get anywhere oh, else. Not. They, they need something different. Like to your point about the adoration thing, I remember, so the Archdiocese of Baltimore does a Quo Vadis camp every summer yeah. for high school boys to discern whether they're called to, pre, like to enter seminary. 
Um, and a couple years ago at a Corvatus camp, we did that where we, I think every day actually, we had the boys pray in like silent holy hours in adoration for like an hour or something. Like it was a, it was a pretty long, significant amount of time. And for a lot of these boys, it was their first time like sitting in silence like that. And yeah, a couple of them came back with comments of like, oh man, it was really hard to pay attention. It was really uncomfortable, whatever. But like every day we'd like meet up as small groups afterward and discuss it. But a couple of the boys were like, that was like the most beautiful like experience. I've, I've like haven't had silence like that in my life. And, and even the ones who did struggle with it by the like third day, most of them were like, wow, that was actually really good. Like I needed that, like that, like I've gone from like, struggling to to be able to like sit in this to like this actually was like good and i think that's a thing that we often get too concerned as like youth ministers and people working with youth of like oh well we don't want them to like have a bad experience well sometimes that that experience with the lord in silence like that will gradually lead to that it's okay if a couple people have a bad experience that's not the end of the world but like it will be good i think it's beautiful and so good that you were trying to do that with the adoration with Jesus and the Eucharist at, on the retreats. And just because even if it takes time for the students to cultivate that silence in the mm-hmm. prayer, it's what's needed. It's exactly. so what's needed. I was, I'm thinking the book of uh, the power of silence. Yeah. We live in such, I think like he, one of the, one of my favorite, I'm going to paraphrase it, but one of my favorite paragraphs in that book, he references uh, Kierkegaard. He's like, there's like so much noise and like so much like, you know, like, it's like, this constant communication of like just like meaning almost like meaningless mm-hmm. like content of and it's like well, we just like there's a need for silence like god speaks to us sometimes through the silence and but if, if people don't know that or if they have no experience of it or no cultivation of that experience then it will be kind of like hostile to it or opposed to it or they won't be used to it and, and they'll resist it but i think that in trying to just introduce it and cultivate it so helpful it'll be so helpful for the rest of their lives in the yeah. moments where there will be silence hopefully right yeah. Yeah. yeah well i think i i've never finished the power of silence i've started it twice because <laughs> uh, there's so much on like just like you said one page oh yeah like each yeah. paragraph you can reflect on uh, so it, it's beautiful but I, I think i remember there being a passage and honestly i might be conflating a little bit of this with also jordan peterson's <laughs> topics but in silence you have to deal with the demons mm. inside mm-hmm. And a lot of kids nowadays, and adults too, but especially the kids because they're bombarded with so much information and also standards of what they should be. They're constantly, like they, they have a lot of demons. They have a mm-hmm. lot of dragons to slay. Yes. And silence forces you to confront that. Yeah, it does. And so silence makes them extremely anxious. But yeah. it's... You know what I noticed, and maybe you've noticed too, uh, it, where, you, where you work, but I noticed that... Um, in, both in high school and college now, that the, the people, the students, they always have the headphones. Oh, all, yeah, the, almost, Airpo- the AirPods. Almost, the AirPods. Really? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, like, yeah. And I'm not saying, you know, I, you know I'm not against like, listening to music or listening oh, yeah. to no, 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 I have sure, AirPods, too. But your point is about I, the constant, AirPods. like, flow of it, right? It's, but it's constant. It's like, it, it's a, yeah, it's a, mm-hmm. um, there's no, like, no time for silence. Yeah. 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 No, it's it's yeah. They're they're scared of their own thoughts. Yes. Yeah, and they should be because their thoughts can be scary. My thoughts can be scary. True. I mean, all of us. But, yeah, yeah, all of us. Yeah. yeah. But you've mm-hmm. got to conquer them, otherwise the beast will become too much. Yes. Yeah, and we don't want that for anyone. No. So, 
Yeah, if anyone's listening, definitely <laughs> take the time to be. It's, and you're not going to be great at it right away no, in the silence. No, no. Like, it, it's difficult. It's very, very difficult. It's like working out for the first time and you're extremely sore the next day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I don't think he would mind me sharing this that one of the guys in our Exodus group last year, Exodus 90, now asks guys to pray a holy hour every day in silence. Um, and one of the guys in our Exodus group last year came like every week, basically, for the first like half of Exodus he would comment on how difficult it was to like sit in silence and how much his mind would just like jump. But the more he did it, like his mind, he would joke about like, like the squirrel thing, you know, like, like he'd be like praying for a minute. And then all of a sudden, like some thought would come in or whatever, but the more he did it, the easier it got. And now he like prays all the time Mm -hmm. silent and like is much more able to do it. Like it's, that's what the encouragement I always give people is it's like any other muscle that, you know, you think about exercise, people talk about, like, you have to start slowly and work your way up. The same thing of, is true of sitting in silence and prayer, that you have to take time and just slowly work your way up. But the more you do it, the more you will both be able to do it and also, like, crave it more. Because I've realized that recently myself. I've I've been a little too, like, busy with things going on. And on this past week, I just had this, like, existential moment where there was, like, so much noise around me. And I was, like... I need to just go like pray in silence right now. Like I can't, I can't handle this right now. And this isn't something that's exclusive to Catholicism. Like a lot of the world's religions promote this. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's why people benefit from it. Uh, I want to respect your time. Like I have another question, but what time, what, what's next on your schedule and when? Uh, next thing on my schedule is uh, visiting, doing a homebound visit or a sick, sick visit at like 1 PM. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, I'm not in a, I'm not in a rush. I mean, I, um, okay. I, I, have, I have time. I have some time, but I, I want to respect your time as okay, well. Okay, cool. Just, yeah, I yeah, wanted to make good. sure that we weren't, because uh, uh, one of another priest friend of mine, Father Matt, he's always going left and right, yes. and like, and he, he has a habit to like, no, I'm like in this right now. I feel like I should like do this all, but I'm like, no, like you got to go, man. It's okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, but I just wanted to make sure. Another yeah. 30 or 40 minutes. Yeah, so a question. Yeah, you're good. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. So a, a question I wanted to ask, because I think it's important for people to hear, is when you're hearing people's confessions, because like, a lot of people are afraid to confess their sins. And True. to be honest with you, going to confession behind like a hidden piece isn't really an option for me uh, be- okay. because my voice is very <laughs> distinguishable. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. It's very distinguishable. It's, I mean, I guess if I go to like a random priest kind of thing, but I shouldn't have to think like that, right? True. Right. I, I should be able to just like, no, I'm going to confession. And... Uh, the priest is here to bring me forgiveness. Yeah. I mean, how, how, how would you tell someone to not become afraid of confession? Yeah. Yeah. With obviously without sharing anything you yeah, can share. Sure, sure. I would offer two um, suggestions or two things to think about. One is that you uh, might actually be surprised at even if, uh, even if you think that like your voice is like very um, distinguishable. Like if a priest is hearing confessions for like, hours and hours a week um, with, like, a lot of people. Like, really, like, voices, um, there's not there's not that much, um, like, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not actually that easy to, okay. to distinguish voices. 
Um, I had a priest one time in Denver <laughs> who I went to confession maybe twice, and they were months apart. And the second time I showed up, he was like, oh, I remember you. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, but, but no, I, I, don't, I don't think he should have done that. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think yeah. he should have said that. I think he meant it more of as like a charitable sense. Like, okay. uh, like I think I would, the, the sin I was confessing was like, oh, okay, yeah, like. I would suggest that you keep working on what you've been working on. It was kind of like a more sense like that. Okay. Like, no, uh, I don't okay. think they're supposed to acknowledge that. But anyway, the context of what you said, perhaps in that in that confession. Nevertheless, the second thing, though, <laughs> even if, even if that's um, the second thing is the like for me, the, the seal confession um, gives me so much comfort and so much um, like trust in the sacrament that for me like going through yeah you know, I mean like yeah in college and going through seminary and now as a priest even I still go to confession like around like once a month or so and like I know that like the seal is absolute um, and that like whatever is confessed in the sacrament of confession like the priest will take that to to the grave um, and that like really yeah the, the priest is not there to um to con- to condemn or to um, make a person feel like you know very like like judged or um, like unworthy of forgiveness the priest is there to administer forgiveness the priest is there to um, be Christ to that person so uh, for me and like any other seal uh, yeah the, the priest is, is not ever allowed under any circumstances even if Pope Francis said, you know, Father Luke, you know, what did so and so say in confession? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, you know, like, like Christ knows, but like, I don't know. And you know, like, if, if 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 the if the government, or the military, or, or the police, whoever, you know, said, Father Luke, what did what did so and so confess in confession? I don't like, I don't know. I, I I can't say, you know. So and it's not only for other people, uh, it's, it's even for the person. And like, and the other thing too is like, I know how I want, how I've wanted the priests who I've gone to confession to throughout the years. I know how I want them to to treat me and to look at me and talk to me, like now. And it's not like, and and they don't. And it's the thing like they don't. The priests who I've gone to confession to in the past, they don't rem- like. They don't like. <laughs> they don't like hold my sins against me it's like no no no. that's not who you are anymore like like those sins have been forgiven those sins are gone and like this is who you are now like and, th- and i love the catholic theology and we maybe we were kind of talking about this before a little bit but like the difference between like the catholic understanding of grace versus the lutheran understanding of grace of like like we're not just like dung covered by by snow mm-hmm. we're yeah. not just it's not just like snow covering us it's Grace transforms us. It changes us. It renews us. It elevates and heals us. That's a big difference. So now, if if a priest who I've gone to confession to sees me, they're not just saying like, "Oh, like this is who he is still," but the this, the grace just is covering it up. Like, no, like that sin has been absolved, and he's a new person now, a new creation. It's being renewed as a, as a beloved son because of the sacrament. And for me, like, yeah, any person that I see, I see them for who they are now, for now, right now, mm-hmm. not who they were, not what they've done, who they are right now. I think that's so essential. Um, 
if that makes sense. Is that helpful at all? That was beautiful. Okay, I cool. loved it when you said Pope Francis asks me what's this person's sin and you say, I don't know, Christ does. Yeah. Like I I thought that was a perfect way to put it. Sure. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. Um I have another question on confession. Did you have something else you wanted to add? I guess Peter? just like I don't know. I I I I'm gonna ask a leading question here, but um but my perception has been from a lot of priests that I've talked to, too, who never obviously have given any sort of specifics, but I just mean that the, the understanding I have is, to your point about the voices thing, that when you're hearing constantly a lot of confessions, it also kind of, like, blurs together, too. What I mean is, like, to reassure people, too, because people might be like, oh, well, yeah, he can't say anything about the seal, but he still knows, like, I did X, Y, and Z thing. And, like, the impression I've gotten from a lot of priests is, like, sure, you might remember things sometimes, but in general, most of the time, it, you kind of like, it's like you've heard the same thing 15 times. You're like, I don't even remember who said that anymore. Like, yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, yes. Especially, yes. Like, w- when I hear confessions for like, you know, like two hours in a row and it's like busy the entire time, it's like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> you, you, yeah, you, it's not possible um, to like, remember everything um it's just not it's just you know and 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 the other thing too is like it's not in so many ways like it's not even worth remembering exactly like like, yeah it's it does mean no benefit in a lot of ways of like of like remembering like what people have done because like i said if if i if i only view people for who they are now and i just treat them with the love and the respect and dignity of who they are now really that doesn't matter then whatever like whatever Mm -hmm. yeah like if that makes sense yeah yeah what would you say to someone who's had a very negative experience in confession because i whenever i teach it to my students i'm like maybe even outside of it like a negative interaction with a priest i have had negative interactions with priests you know and i was like my students really sympathize with that it's like you would think like this person dedicating their life to christ and uh that they would they would be they would have it a little bit more (laughs) figured out like, what would you say to someone who's had a negative interaction with a priest or maybe even specifically in the sacrament of confession? Yeah, the first thing I would say is, sorry. <laughs> sorry that that happened. That should not have happened. Um, I mean, I, there are, I have heard, even before I was a priest, I heard, I had heard of a situation, for example, when, when someone went to confession and this person, um, you know, came out of confession I was very upset that the priest um, was kind of, you know, I guess maybe uh, in this person's perception, like kind of, like kind of mean or kind of angry with this person. But after this person started talking more and more, explaining about like what this person was experienced, it turned out that this person basically confessed, and the priest asked, you know, well, like, do you have the intention or, or the resolution of, of not doing this sin in the future? And this person said. Well, no, like, I'm going to do it again. And the priest was like, well, like, uh, then I can't, like, you know, like, if, if you're just saying, like, you know, it's one thing to say it'll probably happen again, but I'm intending, I'm going to try not to do it again. That's right. different. It's yeah. very different. Yeah. But if a person says, no, 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 like, I'm confessing this because I know, like, I should, but I am have no intention at all of trying to stop this in the future or change my life at all, that's very different. So I have heard of sometimes people get upset because the priest wouldn't, you know, give absolution or something like that because the person's not repentant. That's mm-hmm. different. Uh, of course. Yeah, of course. But other situations where the priest is just mean or 
not, not helpful or just like, I, I don't know. Like it, it's sad. No, it's sad. I don't, I don't understand it. Um, I, I don't understand it. I have, I have not been maybe, yeah, I mean like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a new priest too. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe after 20 years or 30 years, <laughs> like we'll see, you know, but, um, God willing, I hope that I can continue to, um, yeah, n- not be mean or, or, uh, you know, whatever, yeah. um, unchristlike in the confessional. Um, but yeah, yeah, I guess the only thing I have to say is sorry that that happened. And then, um, I would say continue trying to trust that moving forward, uh, that, that Jesus will help lead you to priest who, who won't do that, who won't treat you that way again. Yeah. Oh, thank you for saying that. that because it's helpful, yeah. And also like to give some, to cut a priest some slack mm-hmm. as well. And, like, even as a teacher, like I'll have students come into my classroom and be like, oh, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so like was really mean today. And I'm like, okay, they probably shouldn't have said that or done that. But like, are you ever mean to someone? Like, being a teacher is tough, guys. And like being a priest, given the chaotic schedule that our listeners are learning about right now, like you guys are going to have your bad days. Yeah. And is it good that you do what you do when you're angry and let that get the best of you? No, of course not. But, you know, we could definitely be more merciful and forgiving to the priest. But there obviously are cases where, like, a kid or adult or whatever has one interaction with the priest and it's negative, and that's a, that's a shame. Yeah. That's a darn shame. Well, and would fa- Father, would you agree with this, that I think one of the things that might be important, too, is to, to, to encourage the person maybe to see the church as bigger than that one person that they yes. interacted with? Because Amen. I think that's one of the difficulties that people often have when they have a bad experience with a priest, for example, is they in their mind, understandably, because they had a bad experience, they conflate that to being the church. Like, mm-hmm. this is how the church is. It's lax, or it's angry, or it's mean, or it's whatever. And it's like, the reality is the church is much bigger than any one priest, or any one bishop, or any one, any person who is part of the church. And so, like, that's an important, I think, factor to remember, perhaps. Oh, yeah, like, th- thankfully so, right? <laughs> yeah, even when one um, member body of Christ um, is, is is not living how they should or, or not doing what they should or being who they should be um, it doesn't it doesn't change the reality of like who the church is or what the church is um, I, one one seminary professor he actually told the story of he went to confession once he's a priest he went to confession once and after he got done confessing the priest who was the confessor he whatever he said it was he, he said it was just very um, yeah, like very mean or very, yeah, just very mean. And uh, the, the seminary professor, he said, he just, he just said something along the lines of, you should not have said that and I'm going to someone else. And he got up and just left. Oh, and he wow. said, you know, I think it's a good thing to remember that like, no, he didn't, he didn't receive absolution from that priest, but right, he, he left, said, too. yeah, he left. But he just said like, just remember that like, there's like no obligation to like, to like, go to like a specific priest or there's yeah. like no, like, mm-hmm. like you can just, you, know, you can go to someone else. Like, yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, I thought that was a, maybe a nice story as well. Just to provide some freedom. If, if a priest, if, if someone does encounter a priest where they just find it's being like very uncharitable, just, just, yeah. 
don't put up with it. Just, just, <laughs> just, just get up and go to someone else. Yeah. You know? Well, I remember yeah. someone <laughs> talking. Like, it's kind of like I can imagine it's like making a friend. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, should we love everyone? Definitely. But could I be best friends with everyone? I'm not so sure. I no, could no, be, and not can't. in my fallen state. Definitely not. And so when it's like finding a spiritual director or finding a confessor, mm. I remember a friend of mine from Franciscan who's my spiritual director. He was trying to help me find like a priest in Colorado. And he's like, Reese, these are three priests who I think would know your heart, you know? And so, yeah, definitely it's, it's kind of like dating, you know? oh, yeah. <laughs> like trying to figure Absolutely. out someone who you jive well, well, jive well uh, with. And yeah, I think that's a good point. Like just try and find someone else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Before we get to the next thing, if I could just call out to one other thing that I really liked about your, your comment on that father was the fact that I think it's important to like seek to understand when someone has had a bad experience to like ask them questions to understand exactly what that, what that experience was, because I like the story you told because I have definitely encountered that as well, where people are like, Oh, this priest was mean. And then you dig deeper and you discover that the priest actually was just telling them what the church teaches about something and they, through their own particular situation, are not in a place to receive that. And so they perceived it as mean, even though the priest was actually just saying, I'm sorry, but this is, I can't, like, compromise on the teachings of the church. You know, like, yeah. so, like, I think it's yeah. important to understand because sometimes the reality is that priests do things that they shouldn't. And then other times I think people expect things that they shouldn't from priests. And so there's kind of a both and there. And that's why it's important, I think, to seek to understand, like, what was the issue that, you know, why, why, I'm sorry first, and then what happened, you know, asking that question and understanding the situation. Yeah. And there's also, it's difficult to read, you can't always read the room perfectly as a priest or as a teacher. Like I remember teaching um, on, like, I, I hate the question when kids ask me if something is a sin, because first of all, I'm not a priest. Oh, yeah, uh, no, you have to uh, be careful about that yeah. anyway. And I tell my kids straight up, I'm like, on paper, I can say things are a sin. Like if I'm just looking at it objectively, um, and sure, like murder most of the time is always a sin. I mean, like murder, murder is a sin, is but like killing an innocent person is always a sin. Yes, you know what I mean? Yeah. Killing someone, like sure, maybe we could just like say circumstances might change things. But when it comes to the specific questions like students are asking me, I'm like, I tell them like, mm. be careful like with these questions, okay? Yeah. But students were asking me is like uh, sex before marriage a sin? And I like affirmed, I'm like, yes, it is a sin, okay? On paper, definitely, okay? Yeah. Um, and I was running out of class time. I didn't realize it. And before I got into talking about God's mercy, the bell rang mm. and a student walked out crying mm. and mm. I was able to kind of talk to that student later, but mm. I, I was like, I should have been more aware of the situation. I was running out of time mm. and I should have been more particular. And the student knew the student who like went out crying, like they knew that I came from a loving place. So I think I had enough of a relationship where it wasn't like completely problematic. But we got to be aware, like 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 humans, priests are imperfect, and the church is holy not because we are holy. The church is holy because Christ is holy. Correct. And uh, yeah, and I think that whenever we're talking about sin or justice or judgment, we yeah we should strive. We should strive always to always follow it up with mercy, mm-hmm. because under the light of God's judgment and perfection, like you know, we need mercy. Every one of us needs mercy. Um, and that if we if we fail to remember that or acknowledge that or to talk about that, then we leave people with like half the answer. Yeah, it's good. It's good to um, the the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, but then for the sake of repentance and and having forgiveness. So if we if we only do the first if we if we only help the Holy Spirit with the first part, that's not, that's not that's not the most helpful. We need to we need to also always remember to bring it back to 
forgiveness. There's, there's hope for forgiveness. There's, there's a possibility of forgiveness of being reconciled. And that's what Jesus came to do. Yeah. And yeah, I, absolutely. And, and I think it's beautiful to me that the prayers of the church try sometimes at least to follow that same pattern. Like we can, we can pattern ourselves off like Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi, the law of prayers, the law of belief that we can pattern ourselves off of the prayers of the church. I mean, cause we are recording this in the early part of Lent and, I was reading the other day the uh, the blessing of ashes on on Ash Wednesday from the old right. Um, there's a few more blessings than there are in the new right, um, and one of the old prayers for the blessing of ashes ha- is this really beautiful acknowledgement of like we put on these ashes is as an acknowledgement of like I forget the word it used but it was pretty strong. It was like our own wretched sinfulness or something like that. Mm-hmm. But immediately in the following line it says. And we believe and trust in the divine mercy of God. I love it. And yeah. so, like, it's both and. It's acknowledging that, like, yeah. we are sinners, and we need to acknowledge that, and sin is real. But in the same phrase, in the same prayer, it's acknowledging at the same time that we trust in the mercy of God. Yes. Yeah. It's God essential. Is, we have a God who is so powerful, he can forgive anything. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. So, I'm kind of running out of questions, although if I had some time, I could think about some. Was there any that you maybe were thinking about, Peter? You having a good time, Father Luke? Yes, yeah. uh, very much so. Yeah, wonderful. And you both have been so gracious <laughs> and, and, and hospitable. I'm so thankful for it. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah. No, this has been I'm awesome. I remember because there was something I was thinking of earlier, but I don't know if you're I a little bit further away. Sorry, there the was something <laughs> I there was something I was thinking of earlier, but I don't know if I remember it right now. But I I was listening to a priest who was on Pines, and he was saying I was so excited to hear confessions. He's like, I couldn't think of anything more boring than to hear people's sins. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he was talking about the actual forgiveness oh, aspect, yeah. but he I'm was like, hear talking about yeah, yeah. He was like, it's so, their sins are just so boring. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Well, yeah. and I think his point was what I've heard other priests comment on before that like, once you get to the point where you've heard like pretty much every sin as a priest, it becomes like monotonous, right? Of like, you're like, wow, like it, nobody can come up with something like inventful and new. It's just like, well, all these sins are the same. Like, well, I think that before I was a priest, I would think like, oh man, like like this is so yeah unique, or this is so shameful, or this is such mm, a big deal. Mm-hmm. And like, how could I possibly? And now that I'm a priest, yeah, I realize like, oh, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, You're not that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah, 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 essentially, essentially, yeah. I'm I'm not that big of a deal, <laughs> and uh, my sins are actually not that um, you know, unique or anything like that. You know, so yeah, it's yeah, the priests hear it all. Yeah, I guess the question that I just remembered that I was going to ask earlier is related to all this about confession is you <laughs> you can't acknowledge this, but I can acknowledge this, that I know that you typically pray a prayer at the end of, like after the absolution prayer, which I have found very striking and very beautiful. I've been to confession to Father Luke to clarify. He can't acknowledge that, which is fine, um, but I can. Um uh, and you pray this really beautiful prayer. Can you say anything about like what kind of what the impetus was for you you adding that? It's it's in the right. I'm I'm pretty sure right as in like an option that you can do. But it's it's a so, really beautiful prayer. So what you're asking is what the prayer that I pray at the end of like after confession is over. Technically, I think right. Yeah. So the the right of um, the right of penitence there in the in the most current edition that I've seen. There's one like option that they have and it's i think it's like give thanks to the lord for his good for his mercy endures forever that's that's like a thing like the standard um option to pray but then there are the the, the red text 
also has like other options. Mm-hmm. And one of the options, the prayer that, that I, I usually um, like to pray, I, I do use um, the other one, um, but the, that the final prayer that's in the, that's in the right of, of, uh, of, of reconciliation of, of penance, the prayer is, may the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and of all the saints, whatever good you do and whatever evil you endure, be for you a remedy for sin, an increase of grace, and the reward of eternal life. Go in peace, and and uh, I love it. And I, I I I the reason why I use it um, sometimes is because I think like I I have had some priest actually yeah even even recently um, say that prayer um, when when I go to confession when when I have gone to confession and I love it I I, I love mm-hmm. it it's just like um, it's just like <laughs> yeah it's kind of like. I don't know. It's just so all-encompassing. It's just so. Mm-hmm. It's so. It it like it 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 just fills like the rest of your life with like meaning and purpose of like what am I living for and like like what has been what is what has happened to me like what has just been done to me uh, as far as like reconciliation and then like what is like all my suffering all my good what is it for? It's like eternal life. Mm-hmm. Like and may I live in peace in the peace of of being forgiven. And the peace of knowing, like where I'm, where I'm going towards, God willing, like towards heaven. Um, so that's that's, I have appreciated when I have heard those words um, after being absolved, and that's why I use it um, m- most of the time. Um, yeah, I mean, that's I was asking because similarly, like I've, it's just it's been very impactful to me as like a beautiful conclusion to. Obviously, the right is where we're absolved, but then. That's like a going, it's like a sending forth thing for me of like, you kind of have this weight lifted when you've just been absolved. And then the reminder of like, this is like you said, why we're living, like this is what we're doing this for. So, yeah. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. Have you, I know you said like when you were, when you confect the Eucharist, you're not feeling, oh, it's like, you're not like super saying like Dragon Ball Z, like, yeah. <laughs> but have you felt the grace of the sacrament of holy orders? Like there have been times, like in marriage, where I'm like, "Oh, there's I, I can I feel the grace of marriage helping out my imperfections right there." Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Probably more than I than I even acknowledge. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, probably every day, even uh, every week. Um, yeah, grace builds on nature, and, <coughs> and uh, so I guess. Depending on the priest, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Depending on how much <laughs> how much nature I have for the Lord to work with, but yeah. the church has deemed it enough. So great. <laughs> Thank praise you, God. God. Yeah, praise God. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't I don't know how many examples I can think of right now. Oh, that's but, okay. That's yeah, fine. I was but, just curious. Yeah, it, it's just. I think yes, yes. It seems to be a big conviction of people's like spiritual, their journey towards God and growing closer to God is, you know, we can get into the philosophical proofs for God's existence and all these things, but grace seems to be a real thing that has a real effect. And that was, that's what holds people true. And when people fall away from God, it's because they've ceased to pray and have ceased to be open to God's grace. Yes. And yeah, I just, I, I think about that with like my marriage where I'm like, Oh wow. Like <laughs> it's it, it, grace is so powerful that, it's even able to overcome like some of our habits and just mm-hmm. not all the time, but because maybe that's has something to do with our disposition and our nature, but 
to just stop bad habits, to stop vices almost immediately from time to time. Yes. And I've just found that to be absolutely beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I think for so much of my life, I didn't realize that, and this is an analogy, it's not perfect, but if I, if I think of like, I use the analogy of like, of a, like a, a bicycle and that when our behaviors or our actions, our, our, our human actions in the Thomistic sense, when we, is like pedaling, but the pedals, it, it can build momentum. So if we're going like downhill and we want to stop um, habits or stop the momentum, what are the brakes? At when I'm when I'm flying down a hill, like I like you know however fast you know whatever like you know however however fast, um, I can't just like I can't choose or decide just to like to turn the bike around that moment. Like I need to brake first. And what are the brakes? It's the sacraments. It's God's grace. I and it took so long for me to realize that that like oh the more that I go to confession when needed. And I and God basically like squeezes the brakes and I slow it slows that momentum down. So I have the ability to then turn around or when I receive the Eucharist instead of grace, like great, then I that helps me to actually then start living that life of grace in, in the Holy Spirit. But for so long, I thought, well, I can just do it on my own. I can do it on my own. I can stop these things on my own. And I realized over maybe longer than I wish I, than I, I had, but that I couldn't. I couldn't do it on my own, actually. I needed God's grace. And, but when I actually... Um, availed myself to to that grace um, then that's when the habits start to change from from vices to, to virtues yeah I mean yeah, that's kind of like St. Augustine in the garden in the confessions where he finally breaks down and admits I can't overcome this sin of lust mm-hmm. and it's when he admits that that he actually begins to be able to overcome it yes. yeah I mean I just find it strange when I I talk about this with my students. When you look at the gods of other religions, their power is exemplified through might and all these glorious physical things that they've done. And we see that occasionally with the god of Christianity. But the most powerful moment in human history from the Christian worldview is when a man died naked with all of his friends having abandoned him on a cross. Like, and I'm not, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but that is like one of the worst ways to go out. That is an embarrassing way to die. Yes. It's like, but yet it is was such a pivotal moment in our existence that people now wear that as an image of hope like we wear an image of a man naked on a cross who was disliked by almost everyone in his community except his mom and the youngest friend he had you know like that's that's pretty much it and that's like a sign of hope. like that's real power to take something so disgusting yeah. and turn it into something that's actually beautiful. And if God can do that with the crucifixion, he can definitely do that with our sins and who we are. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I think along those lines, as we get to the end of this episode, do you have any words of encouragement or uh, hope for listeners maybe who might be struggling with a particular sin or a vice or something that they want to try to get free from? Yeah, for sure. Don't lose hope. Don't stop um, persevering and continuing to go to going to the sacraments. Um, the, the, someone said recently, I think it might have been, been Father Mike Schmitz, I don't remember who, but he said the devil tries to win two battles. Um, the first battle is to get us to sin, and then the second battle is to keep us down, like to mm. not, to not um, be forgiven of that sin. And if we, even if we lose the first battle, we can always win the second battle. And you know, the only way Satan wins is if we sin and stay in a state of moral sin. So as long as we keep being back up, 
as long as we keep repenting, God wins. And like, <laughs> and we win. Like we have to just continue, continuing, continuing to return to the Lord and, uh, and returning to um, the sacraments to receive his mercy. And it's through his mercy that, um, that we obtain eternal life. So um, don't lose hope and don't give up. And remember that God loves you so much <laughs> that none of your sins disqualify you from God's love and mercy. Um, that's, that's why the Father sent his Son uh, to, to die for our sins so that he could be forgiven, so that we could have eternal life. Um, the Father wants us to have heaven. He wants us to have eternal life. Um, so I guess know that the Lord is for you. He, um, he doesn't want you to be, to be um, far from him. So, um, yeah, just have hope, have faith, be courageous, and uh, it'll, be, it'll be okay. Um, yeah, keep, keep persevering. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank yeah. you. Beautiful. Yeah, uh, this was awesome. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to have you on again. Yeah, right. talk about <laughs> sure. more things. Okay. Yeah, that, I would agree. <laughs> I wanted to give a quick shout out to a couple students. I'll just name their first names. Uh, Cole, who has been l- listening to a few episodes. Nice. Uh, he said our most recent one was the most professional one. So thank you for that, <laughs> nice. Cole. Wait, like the one, the <laughs> education <laughs> one? Yeah, yeah. Nice. The one, I have a feeling this one's going to definitely be at that level yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, and then give a shout out to Aaron, who was also listening to it. He said, on retreat, Mr. Grabois, I was listening to your podcast to help me fall asleep. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thank nice. you for that, Aaron. Uh, yeah, anything else? Any shout outs? Or if not, that's fine. Just uh, Thank you both oh. for this opportunity. It's this time just to hang out and talk. It was, it was wonderful. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah, I think maybe would you, I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but would you be open to closing us out with like a, a prayer of, you know, as we're kind of beginning Lent right now, we're in the early part of Lent, and we've just talked a lot about confession, some sort of prayer along those lines of repentance and forgiveness. Yeah, well, the thought that comes to mind is we just pray the Our Father prayer, the perfect prayer that Jesus gave us, and uh, it's, it encompasses all prayers. Beautiful. So okay. pray that in the Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Take care, everyone. Yeah, thank you again. This has been of Mounds and Men. Adios.